Welcome to Globally Speaking, a podcast about connecting with global audiences. Globally Speaking is designed to explore the challenges involved in breaking down language and communication barriers. Our hosts and guests, thought leaders and industry experts, discuss their experiences on a range of topics relating to content, communication and customer engagement. Welcome to today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Globally Speaking. I'll be your podcast host for the next three episodes. Uh, let me introduce myself shortly. I'm Marine Esquenet. I'm AWS Social Media Manager, but I also worked uh, at AWS for five years as a translator from German and English into French before that. Uh, and for the second season of the podcast, starting today, we're going to focus on consumer culture and attitudes to language and localization in fast-growing emerging markets. So off we go. Today, we're delighted to welcome Michael Brennan from Ingenious8, who is behind AWS's recent Unlock 2023 in Understanding We Trust report. In case you haven't read it, the report is based um, on a large piece of research involving thousands of consumers across the globe and offers insights for brands looking to unlock global understanding and better engage with international audiences. Uh, Michael, welcome. Thank you so much for being there. Uh, firstly, please, could you let us know a bit more about yourself? Who are you? What has been your career path until now? And what motivates you in the, in the work you do? <laughs> great, thanks very much, and uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, yeah, great to be here. Um, I'm Michael Brennan, as you say. I am a research and insight professional, look after research and insight for Ingenious8. We're a specialist B2B marketing agency. Uh, for myself, I've been working in the marketing industry for about 25 years now, uh, 20 years in research and insight roles. Uh, and I guess in many ways, I've sort of tracked the evolution uh, of media and digital channels. I started off in regional and local newspapers in the UK at the turn of the millennium. Uh, then I've uh, worked in outdoor media and increasingly across uh, sort of digital channels, a uh, wide range of industries and sectors. Uh, so, yeah, really interesting to sort of um, reflect back on how things have changed and uh, how, how, how digital has really um, risen to the fore and dominated uh, sort of of everything. Uh, if I might say just a, a couple of words about Ingenious8, uh, we were thrilled really to partner with RWS uh, on this project. Uh, as I say, we're a specialist B2B marketing agency. And what we always try to do is combine uh, sort of strategic insights uh, with uh, what we like to call creative in ingenuity, uh, which is clearly not me. I'm not the creative, but I'd like to think that I add to the strategic insights. Uh, and we're all about telling compelling brand stories, really. Uh, and we do that by uh, very much focusing on putting the customer at the centre of our world. Uh, and that's really what we're doing with RWS and with the Unlocking uh, Global Understanding Report is really trying to bring the customer to life uh, for global marketers. Yeah, we were also thrilled to be working with you. We had we had a great time preparing this report, to be honest. Uh, and and it's amazing to you know see it come alive and see the final result now. Uh, very proud, very proud of it. So um, that's a nice introduction to maybe ask you to tell us more about the research you conducted with AWS. What was the focus? Um, who did you speak to? How did you reach out to them and across which countries? And I think it would be also very interesting for listeners to know why exactly uh, those countries were chosen. 
Sure, no problem at all. Um, well, in terms of the uh, the focus of the research, uh, that was very clear, uh, and that was very much on the RWS message of unlocking global understanding. Uh, and the objective mm-hmm. of the research was to bring that to life, uh, to demystify that, and make that meaningful uh, and actionable uh, for marketers mm-hmm. today, uh, and maybe help to help them to understand the importance of uh, connecting with global consumers uh, at a deeper level uh, than maybe they anticipate might be required. Uh, In terms of the markets for the research, uh, we were pretty ambitious. Uh, We covered 13 markets. Uh, We did 500 consumer interviews in each of those 13 markets. Uh, And what we really wanted to do was provide a uh, a spectrum uh, of different types of uh, markets, different um, stages of development in terms of their economics and society. Uh, so what we have is uh, five of the uh, leading economies in the world, the G7 economies. So we have the USA, the UK, France, Germany and Japan. Uh, so that very much gives us an advanced economy focus. Uh, we then have Uh, some of the established uh, emerging economies. So we have Mm -hmm. India and Brazil, uh, for example, um, and uh, sorry, the Republic of Korea as well. And then we've got uh, a number of what we've described as frontier markets. So these are the markets that are rapidly growing uh, and will very soon become the emerging markets of tomorrow. Uh, And here we thought it was really interesting to uh, look at some of the sub-Saharan African markets. Uh, So we've got Kenya, Ghana, Nigeria Mm -hmm. uh, included within there alongside South Africa, sorry, which I missed out from one of the emerging markets. So what we've got is a nice spectrum. Uh, We've covered the Americas, we've covered Europe, uh, we've covered Asia. Um, Sorry, within Asia, we also have the Indonesian markets, which is probably the largest consumer market in the world that people know very, very little about. Yes. So put together, we've got a real rich mixture of markets and perspectives, different histories, different cultures, different languages. Uh, And these are the challenges that global marketers are grappling with today. Um, So hopefully there's something for everyone in here. Uh, People will be more familiar with the advanced economies, less familiar with some of the frontier markets. Um, Mm -hmm. I think the range of insights uh, should be really beneficial for marketers. Yeah, and I was going to say that Indonesia also provided us with a very interesting stats. Um, let's go, you know, a bit deeper um, in the topic later. Um, before we go into some of the key findings of the report, let's talk a bit more about the major trends that are shaping tomorrow's market. So in the report, you talk about aging societies, um, the population shift and new centers of gravity. Could you please Talk us through some of those trends, uh, which for me set the scene quite nicely for for the whole research. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, I'm I'm really pleased actually that you uh, you picked up on uh, those trends because I think it is really important yeah. uh, to take a step back sometimes and and to reflect on. Uh, the slower moving trends uh, across the globe that you might not be, that aren't always front of mind. um, And it's important to contextualize our primary research with reference to these trends. Um, So uh, yes, you rightly say, uh, we talk about the center of economic gravity uh, shifting to the east. Uh, and mm-hmm. that reflects the the share of global GDP being generated outside of you know what we often call the Western economies, if you like. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So obviously, people are familiar with China and India and just the sheer 
scale of their economies and the share of the global uh, of the global economy that they represent. Uh, so that shift of the centre of gravity to the east is fascinating to observe. Slightly unsettling for those of us in some of the Western mm-hmm. markets who are used to, used to having a dominance of the global economy, uh, but really interesting to see that that happening, rising incomes, growing consumer populations in all of these markets, uh, radically changing the shape of the internet, um, you know, the, the way that it looks, the way that it sounds, the way that people express themselves. Uh, alongside that, um, you know, a lot of people are familiar with uh, aging populations in the advanced economies. Um, I think Japan leads the way where the, the median age in Japan is 48 years old. Uh, so, you know, over half the population are above 48. And that contrasts dramatically with the likes of Kenya and Nigeria and Ghana. Mm-hmm. Where we're talking about a median age, no more than sort of 18, 19, 20 years of age. And that's an extraordinary gap, you know, when you think that 50 their population are, are, are in, in their childhood, you know, they're, they're under 18. Uh, this is where we're going to see the population growth in the coming years. Uh, and in fact, if I, if I can <laughs> indulge myself, you know, only eight countries are expected to drive over half of the population growth through to 2050. Um, wow. And they are heavily concentrated in Africa, actually, Egypt, okay. Ethiopia. Congo, Nigeria, and Tanzania, and then the other three are in Asia, India, Pakistan, and the Philippines. And that's you know it's almost mind-boggling, isn't it? That half of the total population growth will come from those eight countries alone. And alongside that, of course, comes you know further urbanisation. You know, uh, those Mm -hmm. of us in advanced economies with well-established cities. Uh, we're, we're not really particularly cognizant of urbanisation around the world, uh, but we're going to see dramatic growth. You know, just think about those countries I mentioned. Uh, and for me, one of the most fascinating uh, learnings, if you like, from the project was uh, the expected urbanisation on the West African coast r- running from Nigeria to Cote d'Ivoire. Forgive my pronunciation. Yeah. Um, staggering numbers expected to be moving into cities there and you just think about the challenges that presents to to those governments and communities and societies uh, to build those cities uh, as effectively as possible. Uh, and then, yeah, there are a couple of other uh, sort of trends within there, uh, the proliferation of digital channels and the growth of digital audiences across the world. Uh, we, of course, touched on climate change being a major uh, sort of trend uh, issue uh, confronting uh, the globe. And indeed, something that we uh, talked about in the context of the uh, ever increasing importance of unlocking global understanding. You know, if we're going to tackle these global challenges, then we need, you know, global exactly. Uh, and then finally, there is also the reflection on uh, in many of the advanced economies, we're seeing a, a huge amount of pessimism amongst uh, consumers. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. We've sort of transformed our expectations where in the past we always expected our children to grow up and have a better life than than our parents, uh, than ourselves rather. That was our ambition and our expectation. Uh, today, we find too many Western... It's the contrary. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and then the contrast there with um, the developing markets, the emerging markets, and particularly the frontier markets, who are facing the future with all of the hopes and optimism and expectations uh, that perhaps we've lost. So it's really interesting just to uh, look at those sort of side by side. Um, so, yeah, just a, a flavour of the trends uh, sort of playing out across the globe. Uh, demographics, absolutely critical, uh, but also that economic shift, which which follows the demographics. Yeah. And we also mentioned trust. Uh, trust was a big, big part of the report, um, uh, a big element of the report that p- 
people don't give it for free anymore, you know. Uh, there's such a plethora of choices of brands that brands need to go the extra mile to to win people's trust. It's not just uh, as easy as it was before. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, trust is, um, you know, in a really slippery concept, I guess. Um, but people, mm-hmm, uh, particularly in an increasingly yeah. sort of uh, digital world where things can feel very commoditized and, and very uh, similar, um, you know, the challenge is to differentiate and to cut through and build connections with audiences. And trust is critical to that. Um, and I think within the reports, we've clearly identified uh, some building blocks uh, that brands can uh, leverage. Uh, to increase the level of trust and the emotional uh, sort of mm-hmm. connections that they have mm-hmm. with consumers. I think that's one of the fascinating things for brands to grapple with is this challenge of emotional connections with consumers. Um, you know, I think historically we've taken a very transactional approach to our sort of customer Definitely. relations, if you like. Yeah. Um, but brands now are having to work out how to build these emotional connections. There's mm-hmm. a great quote. There's a great quote in the report, actually, from a, a chief executive of a U.S. airline who talks about his job increasingly feels as if it's to change how customers are feeling. And that's that's an incredible statement, really, from a chief executive who you would expect to uh, speak to his priorities, to his shareholders, to growth, etc. Look at Uh, numbers. Mm -hmm. To see that emotional priority at the core of his agenda is fascinating. Yeah, it's fascinating. And it's also fascinating in the sense that it's going to be different for every market, right? Like what I consider trust it's probably not the same towards a brand, of course, you know, it's probably not the same as, uh, or it's definitely not the same as what other you know, people in other markets would consider trust towards a brand, you know, it is, it's so, so intricate and such a difficult topic, but uh, we're, it is, we're yeah. Yeah. Sorry, it's good. It's good you mentioned the differences uh, sort of across markets. Um, we refer to something called the sort of trust continuum, um, mm-hmm. and encourage encourage uh, brands and marketers to think about the cultural approach to trust in different markets. So, uh, in some markets, typically some of the emerging markets, people start from a position of positive trust. Um, you know, a, a very open sort of mindset towards mm-hmm. global brands, and and equally towards the people in their lives, and then they work backwards from that position of trust so either brands uh, live up to their expectation or they fall short and therefore they withdraw their confidence and trust if you like Um, whereas in other markets and uh, you'll be more familiar than I with sort of France and Germany for example but Mm -hmm. uh, their their people are much more cautious in terms of their their trust so they start from a position of um, prove that I should trust you yeah uh, and then they grow their trust based on that. Yeah, they weigh up. Okay. And and you mentioned France and Germany for the markets that have this distrust to start with, which are the markets, for example, that that start on a bit more, you know, on a positive or more positive level. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the more positive level, uh, the Indian uh, market definitely is is a very positive uh, sort of culture. Um, Brazil. um, Mm -hmm. So typically it is the the sort of emerging um, and frontier markets, the emerging markets tomorrow where uh, there's this. And I think that reflects that, you know, optimism and positivity about the future in contrast to that pessimism we talked about in the West. Um, You know, it's all to play for, for for the youth of these emerging markets. They see the opportunity. Uh, and digitalization is a huge part of that because that opens up the world in an unprecedented sort of way. 
yeah. and, and people people want to play in that space and they want part of that they want to be part of that mm-hmm. uh, but, it, but what we're critically pointing out is that they want to be part of that on their own terms yeah uh, so they're not necessarily willing to leap in and play the game according to the rules that have been set um, by early western companies etc uh, they exactly. want something different the market and that's yeah. how you build trust is by connecting with what they want to see uh, and in their languages and their culture so. mm-hmm. and i guess this it, it's kind of obvious for everyone right that no people want it in their terms like they want things to happen or you know their their relationships with brands to be fit for themselves but other headlines um, or like findings from the report that you found interesting and maybe that surprised you because this one, I guess, didn't surprise you that much. Uh, but are there other findings that you really thought, wow, we didn't know about this? And and yeah, this is completely like opposite to what we thought, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, I think there were a few um, sort of surprises along the way. Um, Perhaps, you know, as someone I said at the top, I've been working in marketing and research and insights and customer research for 20 plus years. Um, and so for me, it was particularly surprising to hear uh, such a low proportion of global consumers who believe uh, that brands are making sufficient cultural effort to connect with them in their spaces. Mm-hmm. And then even more surprising than that was that less than a quarter of our global respondents uh, felt that brands, global brands, really understood them and their needs. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that's a real wake-up call, I think, for global marketers. You know, we spent a long time emphasizing our uh, customer focus, our customer centricity, and positioning ourselves as listening organizations and brands. And we're getting a very clear message from uh, across these global markets that that simply isn't delivering, that people aren't perceiving that. Uh, and we saw the dramatic figures in uh, Japan and Korea uh, really stand mm. out for me. We had single-digit percentages of people in those markets saying that uh, brands really understand them and their needs. So that was a real surprise and I think a real genuine wake-up call uh, sort of for global marketers to, to reflect on that. Another area of surprise for me personally was just how fast uh, digitalization has taken hold across the globe you know when you think Mm -hmm. um, you know in a number of our markets you know internet access would be a relatively recent phenomenon Um, the depth and breadth of um, uh, digital adoption digital dependency is fascinating to perceive and and I think the really interesting thing is how quickly expectations have grown Uh, it's almost almost as soon as you have that internet connection as soon as you're plugged into that plethora of information and communication that's out there uh, it's almost as if there's a a switch that flicks (laughs) and you become a very demanding digital consumer Um, we're seeing this throughout the report this this level of expectation that comes with digital connection so I think those two those two sides for me were the the big surprises I guess in the report yeah I completely agree like just to go go back to the the first point that you mentioned with Japan when going through the report what really surprised me is that it seemed like from the stats that we gathered that um, so 30% 30% say that brands are making an effort culturally, so that's not a law. But then um, 8% in Japan say so. Um, and then in comparison, just for the, you know, for the comparison, 81% in India um, say say that, you know, 
that brands are definitely making an effort. And the percentage in India of people that feel like brands are meeting their need is also high. So it's quite interesting to see basically that, like, do brands know about that? Do brands know that people in India expect more and therefore are trying to reach this, you know, this high level and know, also know that in in Japan where maybe they're a bit less proud about, you know, like um, they're not, not less proud about their culture, but like knew, know that they have a bit less exigence towards this. Do they know that and do they, they therefore put less effort towards it? Like it's, I found it quite interesting to see um, that, yeah, the fact that Japanese people were maybe less exigent or demanding, sorry, and there, and that bronze didn't even reach the, you know, their lower yeah. exi- like demand, demands or exigence. Yeah, no, um, I think that's a fair reflection. I think there is quite a low bar um, in terms yeah. of expectations amongst Japanese and also Korean uh, sort of consumers. Uh, and yet, you rightly say, you know, brands aren't living up to that relatively low exactly. expectation. Yeah. Uh, but the, I mean, again, the, the positivity coming out of uh, the Indian consumer market is is, is remarkable, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, as you say, the challenge then is for brands to get under the skin of this and, and see how they're performing. Uh, so the great thing about being a researcher is that research always begets more research because you raise more yeah, questions. It opens and, doors. <laughs> and long may it continue, from my point of view. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we we could always go deeper, right? Like, I mean, this this is just the first step and I, I'm sure we will be looking more into this but um, it is fascinating how you know how this all works and we only manage to grasp a tiny tiny bit of it um, yeah um, so as mentioned that a couple of stats really stood out for me I, I mentioned some about uh, Japan and India before but um, another one was that uh, a third of U.S. consumers express a frustration with English dominating the internet, and and this is what we consider as an English-speaking country, right? So, what are your thoughts on this? Does this signal um, towards the U.S. being a multicultural nation where foreign languages are not especially taken into taken into account? Yeah, I think it's uh, yeah really interesting uh, to pull out uh, that stats. Yeah, um, a third of Americans saying that they. Uh, you know, like frustrated. Where, yeah, uh, and I, well, to me, I'm, I'm less of an expert on the US market, but clearly, you know, we, we, we understand the demographic picture in the US. We know uh, that the population profile is changing. We know it is very much a sort of multicultural market. Um, but what's true in the US, I think, uh, is also true of other advanced economies. You know, I'm I'm sitting here in London. Uh, I was actually born and raised in Leicester, which is widely regarded as one of the most multicultural cities on the planet. Um, yeah. It's the first ethnically plural city uh, in the UK and in Europe. Um, so a really diverse sort of hotspots. Um, you know, tens if not hundreds of languages spoken in that city alone. Um, and I think the UK, like the US like other countries really needs to get to grips with that reality um yeah again we think about sort of you know demographics and where population growth is coming from and in, in many of these established advanced economies the population growth is coming from the uh, from the diverse communities from um you know not from the the, the core sort of white british sort of community if you like um and i think there is a job to be done you know across governments uh, to reflect the the multicultural reality the range of languages spoken in, in their own markets uh, 
So when we're thinking about unlocking understanding, uh, we should be, uh, you know, thinking domestically as well as internationally. Uh, and I think some of those issues were brought to life Um I know none of us like to, to look back at the pandemic, um, but I think some of those issues about communicating with citizens in their preferred language uh, were, were, were shown into stark relief. Uh, you know, some communities simply weren't getting access to the information that they needed in the early stages of the pandemic. Um, and that, you know, really shines a light on the importance of thinking domestically as much as internationally uh, and maybe, you know, changing the way that we frame uh, our own markets. Um, and yeah, I mean, again, a great opportunity for those brands uh, in the vast US market who do make that effort uh, to connect with that plurality of communities uh, to understand their different uh, cultural nuances, the different drivers of their behaviour. Um, and as I say, you know, they, they are the, the, the population growth uh, of the coming years and therefore the future consumers. Uh, and the brands that make that effort, I have no doubt, will be the brands that will be here to stay yeah, uh, that's for, for the sure. coming decades. I mean, this, this obviously, I'm from Belgium. Um, I told you that already, but this obviously makes me think of, you know, like the situation we have in Belgium where it's one country. And even if, you know, in the US, the languages we're talking about are not official languages, but in Belgium, we've got three official languages and those th and three regions and those three parts are definitely little countries on their own at the end of the day, you know? Um, and if you don't know that, if you consider Belgium as a whole, um, well, you've got it all wrong, really. So, you know, <laughs> like people, people might not, they, they even have a different culture at the end of the day, um, depending on their language, you know? Um, so, yeah, it's so interesting. And I think, yeah, basically we can kind of make a, a comparison, sorry, with that and the US in the sense that, this is such a big country and there are so many different little bubbles within it that they need to con be considered separately, really. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. And if I can indulge myself, uh, reflecting back on my time in the newspaper industry. So I mentioned that I was working on regional and local newspapers across the UK. Obviously, the UK isn't uh, the biggest country in terms of geography, uh, mm. but it's relatively densely populated uh, sort of uh, country with around 65 million people uh, and, and the reality of, of the UK is the uh, unique concentration um, of spending power, decision making, political influence etc in London alone um, and actually a lot of my time in regional and local uh, media, newspapers, digital magazines etc was really translating the reality of life outside of London uh, to those decision making makers and influencers, uh, particularly in the marketing community in London. So a lot of our primary research was going out into the regions and into the mm -hmm. into Manchester and Liverpool and the northeast mm -hmm. and up to Glasgow uh, and bringing back uh, the expectations and demands and, um, and the differences uh, across that exactly. relatively small geography. Um, so I think, yeah, there are a lot of lessons to be learned there. Um, and it was fascinating for me to realise that a lot of the messages we were putting out within a, a domestic UK uh, sort of situation uh, are now acutely relevant to the sort of global marketplace as well. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. Like, how how far can you go, you know? How, yeah. Like, if, if it's even city by, by city or, you know, country by country, how, how you know? How many categories can you actually build? Um, it is, it's but that's one of the beauties of digital, isn't it? 
Yeah, it's personalization to the individual at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah. micro micro targeting, um, micro communities, hyper localization. Yeah. Uh, all of these things are now possible. Uh, whereas in the past, um, the nervousness around uh, localization was about control, wasn't it? It was, it was global mm. marketers being fiercely reluctant to relinquish control of their prized brand. Completely understandable. Uh, didn't want too much deviation, if you like, from from the global message in local markets. Today, that trade-off doesn't exist anymore. You, you can have uh, localization with centralized control. Uh, the beauty of digital technologies and automated workflows uh, means that that's, uh, <laughs> that controlling marketing director can still have all of the control that they, they want over their invaluable brand uh, whilst allowing that sort of localization and that deeper mm-hmm. connection with their audiences. Uh, and that's a tremendous opportunity. You know. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is. I... I also found it interesting uh, and perhaps not so surprising that 88% of global respondents agreed that it's important for brands to show their cultural insight and show that they understand um, their consumers' um, individual culture. So clearly our culture is important to all of us. But what did you find interesting across the geographies pulled in when it comes to maybe degrees of pride in national identity, history and culture? Were some nations prouder than others? Oh, yes, yes. This was uh, yeah, really fascinating was the vast difference in the, the level of um, pride in national history and culture. Um, and I think we all, you know, should have one eye on uh, the history books, if you like, to, to help to understand that. So, um at, the, at one end of the spectrum, uh, the lowest levels of uh, pride in um, the individual national story, if you like, um, was again in, in, in Japan and Korea. You have complex histories, uh, mm-hmm. not least through the 20th century and, and the Second World War in particular. Um, and then looking at some of the, the sort of Western advanced economies, if you like, we saw a, an ambivalence towards the national story. So I think only 50% of the population in the, of the consumer respondents in the US um, said they had a great deal of pride in the US history and obviously US history is, has been you know, increasingly contested over recent years and yes. we've already mentioned the multicultural uh, nature of the US and therefore the different perspectives mm-hmm. that come to bear on that uh, American narrative if you like uh, and the same was true I think it's 40% of uh, UK respondents had a great deal of pride uh, and again our history is being um unraveled and, and brought to the surface in, in a more challenging way than it has been in the past. And, you know, the UK has a lot of things to feel ambivalent about in terms of its um, uh, its history, its national story. Again, similar in Germany, you know, a complex story there sort of playing yeah. out. Uh, and then the contrast, again, with this uh, the positivity coming through from especially the frontier markets, you know, in, in Africa. And these are countries where their national story has been you know, efforts were made to suppress, if not erase, their sort of national story. And there's a real joy and pride in rediscovering that sort of national history. Uh, so we saw really high figures, 70, 80% in some of those countries for a great deal of pride in my mm-hmm. my national culture and identity and history. And similarly, um, in India, 
again, um, actually Indonesia was much closer to Japan and Korea. Indonesia's had a complex uh, sort of history, again, through the 20th century, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, so really, really interesting to see the huge divergence across these markets. And again, you know, it's incumbent upon uh, marketers to to take that step back and to, to you know, really have a look at the uh, the reasons why this might be the case and therefore uh, to work out the best way for their brand to, to make connections uh, without um, making s- silly assumptions, you know, and I think that's one of the key messages coming through this report is uh, stop making assumptions. Yes, uh, definitely. Go, yeah. Get out and, and, and talk to people. And, yeah, and, and, and see for yourself, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's too, it's too easy, I think, to you know, sit in a in a HQ if you like to um, caricature the sort of situation. Yeah. Because each individual, you know, creates this outside world based on their own perceptions. Like it is, yeah. it is too dangerous to be doing this based on you and who you are as an as an individual. You know, it is simply comes back to that. Um, you you mentioned. Um, I think it was the question right just before this one. You mentioned di- digitalization. I would like to go back to that um, because uh, a third of consumers uh, admit they could not live without the internet, and this rises to 68% in Japan. Sorry, um, should we be worried about this? Should we embrace digital with open arms? I mean, this is obviously very personal, uh, but what is your your you know opinion on this? Um, we absolutely have to embrace this. Mm-hmm. This is today's reality. Um, as we as we say in the context of globalization, digitalization is a fact. You know, there is no turning back. This is our reality. Um, yes, there are downsides to that, um, but I would suggest that they are overwhelmed really by the positive sides, uh, by the connections that we make, by the relationships we can sustain across borders and across oceans. Uh, we see it in our own families as, as much as in our professional uh, sort of lives. Um, it's made life um incredibly uh, easier uh, for people um, you know I'm a researcher uh, unprecedented sort of access to information is absolutely mm-hmm. incredible mm-hmm. Uh, the thing things we take for granted today would have taken weeks of research in the past um, so huge huge benefits uh, around that um, I mean in, in fact you know you picked out the fact that Uh, 38% of people say they couldn't live without the internet. But arguably, the the more important finding was that no one said that the internet was anything less than a very important to their lives today. To their lives, yeah. Yeah. To their everyday people. And uh, what I found really interesting uh, from the Japanese response was uh, that those consumers actually uh, recorded the lowest um, time spent on the internet on a daily basis. So the very people who are saying they cannot live without the internet, you might assume are spending the longest time uh, each day online. Um, The Japanese... Japanese came in at the bottom of our rankings. You know, they were they were looking at one to two hours a day compared wow. to ten hour ten hours plus amongst internet users in Nigeria and Brazil, etc. Um, so there's not a necessary uh, correlation, if you like, between the mm-hmm. time spending online uh, and your perception of its importance to your life. And then if you attach that to the fact that Japan has, you know, the, the oldest uh, sort of population uh, sort of in the world, as we touched on earlier, um, you start to see the internet in a slightly different way as uh, less of a, 
uh, sort of entertainment space, if you okay. like, as it yeah. is yeah. so many young people uh, and, you know, a critical resource for people who need to access resources, may need to access help, uh, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, that speaks to, you know, again, you know, a message for governments maybe, but it speaks to the importance mm-hmm. of digitalising public services and access to yes. health systems. Etc. Yep. Etc. Um, so yeah, to, to your opening uh, sort of point, uh, we absolutely have to embrace digitalization uh, as people across the world are today. Um, I think within that, um, it was incredible to see how many people are um, involved in elements of the metaverse. So you know, we wanted to yes, introduce. Yes, I also was so surprised by this. Yeah. yeah to look forward and see you know what's coming down the line uh, for brands and marketers and societies um, so we ask people uh, whether they're involved in any of the component parts of the metaverse um, you know it's, it's, it remains vanishingly hard to get a grip on a definition of the metaverse itself so yes, it's much easier to ask people if they if they have if they have a digital avatar if they use an ar headset mm. if they use mm. vr etc um, if they use cryptocurrencies etc and overall we had 58 percent of the uh, global respondents who are involved in one or more elements of the metaverse and again that just shows the pace of adoption the the appetite countries as well yeah over the whole yeah Yeah. and again there wasn't uh, a wild divergence um, between advanced economies and emerging and frontier economies so interesting Um, it's a collective momentum uh, in the digital space. I think mm-hmm. what is vital, you know, we, we touched on the importance of um, getting into markets and, and talking to people and understanding the nuances. Um, as with almost everything in life, it's about balance, isn't it? So, it is. uh, you know, the best uh, customer experiences, the best consumer experiences, the best entertainment experiences, bring the best of both worlds to bear, you know, digital connectivity alongside real human uh, sort of contact. Um, so, you know, blending those two sides of the equation is really, really important. Um, but if I can just mention one fact um, from the research, um, and I think this speaks to the, the pace of change and the pace of expectation, we ask consumers well, we started with the assumption that people trust brands with physical presence in their countries more mm-hmm. than they trust brands mm-hmm. who are selling, selling remotely, if you like. And the research clearly confirmed, yes, I trust brands with a physical presence significantly more than brands without. Okay, good, we've established the ground rules. <laughs> and then we went on to ask them, do you trust brands who have localised their online presence more than those who just present you with a standard global presence? Mm-hmm. And yes, Unsurprisingly, they, they trust uh, a localized online offer much more than they trust a global, a standard global offer. And then the final question, which um, I wasn't hugely confident <laughs> uh, in, in, in terms of what the findings might be, was um, do you trust a brand with a localized online presence as much as you trust a brand with a with a physical presence in the market, with a store right. network? market uh, and nearly 60 percent of global consumers agreed with that proposition um, okay. which creates an incredible opportunity a cost-effective opportunity uh, for brands to, to grow their presence globally knowing um, that if they invest in their digital localization appropriately then they can leverage trust in those markets without having to open. having to be present like physically present there yeah and that, that shows the pace of uh, change in, in uh, psychologically, you know, amongst amongst consumers. Um, yeah, and just speaks to how uh, those expectations have grown, and but also the understanding of what digital enables. Um, mm-hmm. So 
we ask people about um, you know real-time translation should that be a standard a global standard for customer service going forward almost everyone agreed with that because they get it they understand what digital can do so customers are all about digital they're very happy for it to be completely you know like digitalized but they have high expectations about it um Yeah, and we also we also need to be conscious that um, you know more traditional consumers coexist with more uh, digitally savvy consumers. Um, so Indonesia is a good example of that. That's one of our very much one of our more traditional uh, sort of markets. And uh, yes, there was a high uh, proportion of people who uh, preferred face to face uh, customer interactions across a, a range of mm -hmm. categories. But really important to emphasize that the, the actual number one choice across the Indonesian market uh, was mobile self-service uh, so again yeah. don't make don't make assumptions just because this is exactly. still a largely a, a traditional uh, sort of society um, they're also digitally savvy as well mm -hmm. and speaking to all of those yeah. uh, expectations and the p pandemic probably also reinforced that um, to a certain extent the fact that you know we could do everything online and and talk less to people for those two years probably had an effect at the end of the day. You oh, know. A massive acceleration, yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, both in terms of new users of digital services, yeah. but also, the, as you suggest, the, the breadth of services and the breadth of activities exactly. you can do online. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, we've all become far too familiar with video calls and video conferences and, and everything else. And, you know, that's now become very very normal whereas uh, mm -hmm. certainly for me it was slightly it was the exception to the yes, norm same for me I, it, it was I, an exception exactly yeah yeah um so yeah in the report you wrote unlock 2023 in understanding we trust um we delve into six key themes we already covered some of those um are there any others that you want to mention that you want to talk through um quickly just so yeah you so yeah 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 thanks for the opportunity so yeah the six key themes uh, the, the sort of overarching messages uh, we wanted to share uh was number one all inclusive um so i should have mentioned that we had a a boosted sample of of consumers uh, living with impairments because we wanted to understand the relationship yeah, yeah, that's important to mention physical and mental impairments and uh linguistic impairment which is mm -hmm. you know if you're not providing uh local language sort of support uh, then you're providing a barrier to access we wanted to emphasize inclusivity uh, which is a very important message for a lot of brands today uh, as part of that we emphasized cultural connections and people's expectations of those and suggesting those as a great way of differentiating a brand from that sort of transactional sort of approach uh, we highlighted uh, the question of trust the, or the challenge of trust i should say um, and how brands uh, can and should uh, attempt to overcome that We highlighted the real-time expectations and the whole digital uh, sort of mindset. We talked about from text to context, and I found this really, really interesting. Uh, you know, unlike you, I'm not a translator, I'm not a linguist, I'm not, you know, day-to-day -day in this sort of space. And I thought it was really interesting talking to some of the experts within RWS about this evolution of communications. Uh, we can get so obsessed with the written word, the spoken word, oh, etc. completely agree. Um, yeah. But those non-verbal, you know, cultural sort of nuance and you know if someone shakes their head are they saying no or yes and yes, <laughs> being exactly. able to 
to interpret yeah. all of those things is so critical uh, critical in human relationships critical in life today but so much more so when we're talking about these immersive environments that and the metaverse exactly you know and for me it was a bit of an eye-opener that you know you could have thousands of people from hundreds of countries in the same immersive space and, and how do they communicate and connect with each other and I can't even get my head around what that involves in terms of the technology yes. <laughs> and the digital uh, drivers of that, uh, but really fascinating uh, sort of field. And you could feel the enthusiasm from uh, from your colleagues in terms of the demands <laughs> that yeah. it creates and, and new ways of working. Uh, and then finally, sorry, uh, you said briefly. <laughs> but, no, uh, worries, final, no worries, no um, worries. The yeah. final comment <laughs> is the, the, the final theme was beyond CX. So we're all very very familiar with customer experience today and the priority that brands and marketers have been giving to customer experience it seemed to be the number one differentiator uh you know in, in an increasingly commoditized world our emphasis was that we need to go beyond what we understand as cx today so in a way our customer experience has always been uh, predicated on the digital the digital experience and the benchmarks have been set by big tech and as soon as you open up the internet around the world people see the seamless slick sort of interface and experiences offered by the global big technology providers and they want that from their local providers and they want that from every other global brand etc um, but what we are arguing is that you know that that becomes a, a, a much a level playing field you know if everyone's working to the same digital benchmarks Benchmarks. So how do you differentiate in that context when everyone's converging on the same digital standards? Well, the way that you differentiate is you go beyond that. You go beyond that sort of digital experience. Everything that we've already talked about, you, you strive to make genuine emotional connections. How do you do that? By really understanding people and their needs. Mm -hmm. And yet only a quarter of people are saying that brands do understand them and their needs. So this is the opportunity, you know, as that uh, airline chief executive said, uh, my job is to change people's feelings. Uh, and I think that's a nice message uh, for brands looking to go beyond seeing to differentiate themselves and to build relationships with the with the people and consumers who will drive those businesses for decades to come. So, mm. that's Michael, far from a brief answer. <laughs> Michael, thank you so much. We really appreciate you taking the time to answer our questions. Um, what a great way to to dive a little deeper into the report and talking about it. And hopefully, we can make our listener want to check it out. Thank you for listening. Um, and I'll say. Uh, talk to you next month for our next episode. Thank you. Bye.